You're listening to Colored Commentary, a Threaded podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Threaded and the ways to support and donate to this organization, check out wearethreaded.org. Now, here's the show. All right, all right. How's everybody doing? Welcome to another episode of Colored Commentary. That is right. Color Commentary, Colorful Conversations by Colorful People about Christianity, Culture, and Race. I am your host, Marcus Lloyd. With me, as always, in the studio, Mr. Antoine Malone. How are you doing, yo, sir? Yo, what's up, everybody? How are y'all doing? doing Again, good, it always feels like it's been a long time, but it really hasn't I been. Know. But it's just it's same. hard to be away guess, from everybody, you know? That's all. That's all. It is, and time flies, and yet sometimes it feels like it takes a long time. It's just weird dynamic. Is that just <laughs> getting older? Is that what that is? I think is that that's, just you that's, turning... that's probably you. I think that's you and just it's all just the things you're doing. an old man. Okay. Yeah. You've been an old man a long time, though. Like, I don't know. Were you ever a young man is the question I have for you. I was a, that's true. You know what? You know what? Um... <laughs> I did get started in this old man game. You did. Uh, you are. Soon. You so are. I, you started I don't know it. What that's about. I mean, we've known Although each other. You said that me having a back scratcher. Oh, are you a, really going to talk about this back scratcher thing? Okay. This, no, I just because it's right here. Okay. From my desk All right. And, and that's the one thing I think. I think everybody. You know what I mean? Wait, like, that's not an old man. Thing. No, no, but, no. Were you just about to say that everybody has a back scratcher? Was that what you were about to people say? Have back, yes. No. I don't think, uh, people no. of all ages. I'm sorry. It's not. I, I didn't say. De- I didn't and... say deserve. I said who has a back scratcher. Okay. No. And here's the all deal. Right, right. It's even if all everybody right. has a back scratcher, they don't the have video, it. They the don't. Video, have it. There it is. There's the back scratcher. <laughs> right there. Show this back scratcher. Look. Even if everybody has a back scratcher, they don't have it as accessible as you. Yours is so like every time we're There's on this two thing. Two of these in the house. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> Wait, okay. You got one in the office. Where is the other back scratcher? This will tell the story the right here. When you can, yeah. You know okay. Where it is. Right. It's in the bedroom. Right. I thought you might have had it by the couch, so, where you sit down and you just pull no, it over here no, out of the no. out of the armoire. You know, just no, push it. At, you know. I am so dumb. And anyway, this look. Whatever. Hey, no, hold up, hold up. This works really well. <laughs> I'm moving on. No, I'm not really moving like on that. because this works really well. To the um, <laughs> to um, to the 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 song you were humming, right? You were humming a song before we even got on here, right? So, what was the song? Just uh-huh. for the just for everybody to to engage. What what was the song? The Golden Girls. Okay, jail. there Thank there you it for is. Being a friend. Yes, yes. But you were what? The, you guys opened up, but it was a TikTok that made. Anyway, I'm not gonna do this. No, it was a TikTok <laughs> that that started the whole thing, and it's this guy who's just singing it. Anyway, I can't. Sh- I wish I could just show the video, but I don't have it here to show it. So all right, all right. I'll just hey, right. I'll hold the L for Golden Grams. Although, wait, you said Golden Grams. If, if I start bro, singing it, bro. it's gonna be in somebody's head for the rest of the Let's day. Let's just so be I'm clear. Saying. Let's just be clear. You didn't say Golden Girls just a second ago. You said Golden Grams. Everything <laughs> you have said today has shown how much an old man you are. Golden Go- Grams is my favorite. Oh, <laughs> I'm so sick of you right now. I can't even deal with you. Okay, let's try to get on with this this show for the people, okay? And <laughs> so we're okay. well, we're going to get on show. Before we get into the show, though, uh, I know I said we're going to get on with the show, and then I'm going to say before we get into the show. But before we get into the show, we talked about this on the last podcast Antoine you want to tell people an exciting thing that we have coming up and it actually it connects to the guests we have today but you want to tell a little the people about what we got coming down the pike here in the next couple of months for us 
Yeah, yeah. So if you guys have been hanging out with us, you know, over the last couple of years, you know, we did a virtual conference in 2021. Uh, it was it was awesome. It worked really well, and we got a lot of really great feedback with it. Well, a lot of people have been asking, when are y'all going to do your next uh, conference? And so uh, what we've done is we've connected and partnered with uh, Mosaics uh, to be a part of the conference, the 2022 Mosaics conference happening in November. Uh, on November the 8th through the 10th and uh, we are pumped about it like that is both Marcus and I have both been at the Mosaics conference like we've attended I've mm-hmm. uh, been a part of the uh, conference that from an attending point of view right so to be able to kind of partner and, and help bring that to you guys um, is huge and so yeah so if you're up in our crowd then we get to hook you up with a little bit of a gift mm. if you put in the special coupon code threaded. I know that's really hard for you to remember, right? But stuff. if you put in threaded, then you'll get 20% off of your ticket, which right now through the end of August uh, is the best time to get that. Cause it's already at an early bird price. That's right. And then you get another 20% off of it. 20% so off really, Antoine, 20%, 20% that's off is a, is what a, a pretty, pretty good deal. That, that's the inflation <laughs> prices right there. That's the inflation <laughs> that's, discount that's okay, okay. right there. Yeah. But yeah, so one for now. So make sure you go and do that immediately. Don't wait. I know everybody waits. Everybody's got a ton of things to do. Mm. There's no reason to wait. If no you reason. already know that this is something that you want to be a part of, then, um, go ahead and pull over to the side of the road, pull your phone out, wow. and go over to Mosaic Conference. Very responsible. I think it's dot com. That's right. Yeah. That's right. It's, it's, it's gonna pull over first. Man. Yeah, Can't that's good. Them. I like the yeah, response. You pull gotta be over responsible. And then yeah, and then go ahead and sign up or or do it immediately. Have a way you need to do it. Just get it done. Now here's and, the question. We will see you there. Marcus, tell us tell, but there's a little bit more. I'll okay. let you finish. Okay, yeah. I was gonna ask you, what if I can't make it? You know what I mean? I got the economy's doing stuff, right? Like it's too far. Like what? What? What if I can't make it? I was going to ask you that question, uh, but you ask the question now, and let's see what what, what happens. So ask the question to me. Okay, yeah. uh, Marcus. What if I can't make it? You're not to, doing this to the live to the live uh, event happening. By the way, in the in the DFW area. Good gracious. Okay, I, I, it wasn't as inspired a question, but I'm going to go you with enjoy it? anyway. You, yeah, you didn't like it. Yeah, no, that's all right. That's okay. I we are in in partnership with Mosaics Global Network. We are handling the virtual side of the conference. This is going to be really cool. Uh, you know, you people are doing hybrid now. You know, and not everybody can get to the places where they are. Obviously, all of our folks, all of our folks that are here in this area, we are going to be going. To all the people that are in this area, we are going to be going to Dallas. But if you are not in Dallas, come in to the virtual conference. It is going to be interactive. All the all the things you think about a virtual conference are going to be there, but even more. And stuff you don't even think are going to be there. The things you think you're going to have in person, you're going to get some of that in the virtual as well. right? There's going to be opportunities to interact with the people who are in the virtual conference. You're going to have yours truly, uh, myself, Antoine, hanging out. It's going to be a good time. We're going to be walking and, and engaging people in this conference together in a, in, a, in a virtual stage. It's going to be amazing. So you have got to 
If you can't get to the conference, we want to make sure that you get to the virtual conference. Now, to do that, you go to the same thing. Go to mosaicsconference.com, and when you go to get tickets, there's going to be a button there that says, hey, virtual conference. That'll take you to the landing page where you can get your tickets there, and then it'll be easy for you to get the link to pop in there, see what's going on at the conference live stream, have uh, interviews, watch interviews with some of the guests and some of the people that are going to be there. Check out some folks who are in the conference as well, some of the pastors and leaders that are there, and you're going to be with us. So it's going to be a good time. I'm looking forward to it. November 8th through the 10th. Make sure you sign up today to get your discount. There it is. All right. So all that to say, we, the conference is going to be good, but it's in partnership as we've been saying with, uh, the, uh, Mosaic global network. And so today, yesterday, Antoine, I know you wanted to say that yesterday we have the founder himself in here. This is the founder and directional leader uh, of, uh, of Mosaic Church in Arkansas and the co-founder and president of Mosaic's Global Network. Now, this gentleman here has authored several books and devotionals, including Building a Healthy Multi-Ethnic Church and Leading a Healthy Multi-Ethnic Church, and he's collaborated on other books and articles, books like The Coming Revolution of Church Economics and Red Skies, uh, Ten Essential Conversations, Exploring Our Future as the Church, uh, just so much stuff. We've loved getting to hang out with this gentleman and to learn from him uh, now and even uh, historically. So welcome to Colored Commentary, Mr. Mark DeMoss. How you doing, Mark? Good to see you. You too, Marcus. Antoine, great to be with you guys today. Thanks so much. Absolutely, man. Hey, uh, we... You know, it's been good. We've been hanging out with you now for the last couple months just talking about the conference. What are you most excited about as you get prepared uh, for uh, a Mosaics? I know this is, what, the fifth one uh, that you're doing now? So what is it that gets you pumped about this conference coming up? Yeah, you're right. It is our fifth one. We started uh, the national event in November of 2010 Mm -hmm. and uh, weren't even sure we'd do it again, although people had such a great experience. They were saying there's nothing like this, a conference completely devoted to uh, being multi-ethnic and economically diverse, culturally intelligent, socially just, and mm. financially sustainable. So, uh, you know, I'm a local church pastor in the inner city, like you guys know. And so we're like, well, hey, if we do it again, we'll do it in three years. And sure enough, we got on that track. So, yes, it's our fifth one. Last one, fortunately, just before the pandemic. Mm. So we got it in in November of 2019, had about 12 or 1,300 folks, 100 speakers, 50 sponsors, 72 workshops, six plenary sessions. It's just a tremendous event. Uh, And we've been very blessed by God. My colleague Allison and I typically put it on this year. uh, Beyond all the other reasons I'm otherwise excited, as you guys were talking about, I'm super excited to partner with you, with Threaded, uh, both of you to bring, uh, as you just shared with your listeners, an online experience that will run concurrently to the in-person event for those that otherwise can't make it, want to be a part of that. So we'll have the in-person event at Northwood Church November 8th through 10th in Keller, Texas, outside of Dallas, of course, one of the suburbs. Mm-hmm. But then, as you guys know, and I'm super excited to be partnering with you, Threaded, uh, you two hosting an online event. And if you're listening, folks, this isn't going to be a like just merely a live stream of what's going on the main stage. There will be live stream. The yep. talks will be live stream. Uh, but this is going to be very interactive uh, for the user. And uh, unlike, uh, you know, a lot of conferences or what we got typical, either I go in person or I watch the live stream, yeah. Uh, of course, uh, these guys, Marcus and Antoine, the folks at Threaded and some of our uh, colleagues with Mosaics are going to put on a wonderful event 
where you'll feel engaged, a part of it, and in a sense, in your own virtual world, simultaneous to the in-person. So I'm super excited about that this year, guys. Man, man, I love it. We should have had him do the the, 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 the opener on this thing, man. He was clear. He was concise. You know what I mean? He was, he was fun. Got it was it. good. I'm in. I want to go. You know what I mean? I want to go now. <laughs> yeah, where now, where now, can I go? Uh, Mark, you know, obviously you got the conference, Mosaic. I think the first time I was um, introduced to you, uh, it was actually Antoine and I were working at the same church, and the church dropped into uh, into our space. They dropped in a, a book, your very first book, or maybe I don't know if it was your very first book, but they dropped in the book, Building a Healthy Multi-Ethnic Church. Uh, this conversation around multi-ethnic church, how long have you been in this? I mean, for some people, it's like they're just coming to it, but how long have you been doing this work? Yeah, uh, appreciate the question. I had been a youth pastor for 10 years from 1984 to 1993 in various spots in the West Coast where I'm from, two years in Germany. In 1993, I was brought to Little Rock, Arkansas uh, by a church uh, that was 2,000 people at the time uh, uh, to take over their junior, senior high student ministry that was about 150 at the time. Eight years later, the church was 5,000. The student ministry was 6,000. I went from one administrative assistant to uh, nine full-time staff people, built a $3.5 million student center, designed it myself. The church paid cash for it. I was in the top 2% of youth pastors in America. I was Mm. living the dream until Mm. one day I looked around this otherwise amazing church in 1997 and realized the only people of color were janitors. Mm. And that began to bother me. I didn't know why in the moment that that bothered me in my spirit, Mm. but something was not right about that revelation that came to me Uh, around the time of uh, Little Rock was about to celebrate the 40th uh, anniversary of uh, the integration of Little Rock Central High School. So I continued in the ministry there for the next several years, but just in the recesses of my private time, my quiet time, I continued to reflect on this and came to realize that uh, uh, throughout my seminary notes, I should say, and what I was taught about what's called the homogeneous unit principle Mm. or the nature of church planning, growth and development, Uh, typically targeting people like you, I came to realize that every church in the New Testament uh, was what we call today, uh, outside of Jerusalem, I should say, was would be a healthy multi-ethnic church, men and women, Jews and Gentiles, rich and poor, equitably walking, working and worshiping God together as one. And that demonstration of the gospel beyond the mere proclamation of the gospel was what began to draw people to the way. And so when that vision, that understanding of the New Testament church got into my bones and belly, uh, man, I was no longer content to be, uh, not, I didn't leave in a huff, I, I finished well and all that, but I'm saying for the rest of my life, I'm like, I wanna be in a healthy multi-ethnic church. One didn't exist here, the need was in the city, so uh, not only for a church like this, but just to uh, aggregate resources and, and make an impact, Matthew 5, 16, uh, here in the inner city. So I stayed in Little Rock, came to the Urban Center uh, 2001 to start uh, a multi-ethnic church, what Christianity Today would call three years later, a big dream in Little Rock. Could men and women of diverse background will themselves, as we say here, to walk, work, worship God together as one? And guys, just in April, we crossed our 20th anniversary Mm. officially as a church. So all that's to say, I have been in the space at least for 25 or 26 years in my head, but specific to church planting and getting this off the ground since 2001, over 21 years. Wow, wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I talk about, when I talk about Mosaic, and you can take this any way you want, but I kind of say it's the, and, and it, I'll say it like this, 
it's kind of, at least in the modern day, I feel like it's the grandfather of the multi-ethnic church movement. Mm-hmm. Like, like we've, everything is kind of being built off of a lot of things that you're doing. Obviously, uh, scripturally, what you're talking about is, is the grandfather is the, 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 the church right of Christ, right? As they, they jump right in and, and, and you could even go further back if you want to some of the ways in which uh, uh, multi-ethnic yeah. uh, church was being done, even amongst Jews and Gentiles uh, in the Old Testament church, where you're talking about Rahab and Ruth and, and, and other Gentiles that were mixing in, right? But, uh, but definitely you in, in this modern age is doing that. And, and I know you, you articulated some of the things around the, the scriptural stuff. We love talking about that. We get into that stuff all around, uh, even some of the story that you're talking about. A question that I have is, you know, and, and I always I ask this question of, of most people as they get into the work, like, is there any kind of, for lack of a better word, personal skin in the game for you? You know what I mean? I, I know the, 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 the move towards where, where God wants us to go, but is there anything almost even uh, personal that kind of keeps you in the game? Because it's, it's, it's a hard road that you've been hoeing for uh, the last couple of decades. Is there anything personal that, that, that drives that work? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, it, it, and I have reflected on answered it uh, many times. And this is what it is. It, it, and basically, it is that recognition that this is biblical, this is right, and it is the hope of advancing a credible gospel in the 21st century beyond mere rhetoric to actually get results. Uh, and all that stems then from a personal calling. So think about the word calling for a moment. All right. Um, all of us as Christians, and you know, it's thrown around, people use the word calling, I'm called to this, yeah. called to that, whatever. Yeah. So, uh, but if you break it down, obviously we who are followers of Christ are all generally called to advance the gospel, Matthew 28. So there's a general calling, right? And then there are more specific callings in our lives. Some people are called to be a teacher, like they want to, that's their career path, right? Or, or somebody else, uh, you know, uh, to be a doctor or, or, uh, whatever they work in. Others of us called, of course, to ministry. So that's a specific calling. And I am literally finishing uh, my 39th or about uh, to start my 40th full-time year in ministry here at the end of this year. So for 40 years, I've been walking in that specific calling. Now, below that is the seasonal calling, right? Think about a seasonal calling. So what is a seasonal calling? Well, for me, for instance, uh, 18 years in my specific or my specialized calling to be in full-time ministry, I was seasonally called for 18 years to be a student ministries pastor, right? Mm -hmm. But then at the end of those 18 years, God put this vision of a multi-ethnic church on my heart, church planning, et cetera. And so I stepped away from one season into another season, leaving behind student ministry and then taking on the form of church planting uh, and, and so that was that walked into that seasonal call. But all of that stems from this personal calling that I get before God by myself. Here am I, Lord, send me. What is it that you want me to do uh, with my specific and in this calling in this season of my life? And getting in touch with that so you hear from God that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt it's in your belly. You are called to this work because, as you mentioned, Marcus uh, and Antoine, you know, this work, planning, growing, and developing any church is difficult in all by itself. But when you right. add multi-ethnicity, economic diversity, the urban center and the complexities here, uh, the, the, the issues and challenges of finance, people that don't get it, uh, it's like you add an additional set of landmines that have to be navigated over time. So prayer is the calling. I go before the Lord. I get that prayer. With prayer, I define that seasonal calling for me. 
And then uh, that passion is rooted in my calling that allows me then to be patient and persistent over time. And that's the only way this stuff comes out. That, that passion is my calling. I solidify it in prayer. I continue to chase it with patience and persistence. And, and again, that's, that's what allows it to come out. But if you don't have that passion, let's call that the calling mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. comes from my individual time with God and is solidified in prayer because God can call me to do something, uh, right? And let's call let's put that under a good pastor word. So that's your P. There's your passion. Oh, here we go. You're going to jump in. You already hit four P's right there. <laughs> right. I, I get that passion. But just because God asked me to do something doesn't mean I'm going to do it. That's where prayer comes in. I got to commit. I'm in God and I commit, I own the passion, I commit myself in prayer and then just walk it out in patience and persistence. If you don't and can't articulate that calling for this ministry, very difficult to stay in the game, the seven to 10 to 15 to 20 years it takes to see this thing uh, come to fruition. The level is the need for people to understand the difference between assimilation and accommodation. Mm. Okay. Mm. Um, most people, even to this day, when they think about whether organizationally as a company, a university, church, and they think about unity and diversity or becoming, you know, uh, more multicultural, uh, culturally competent, whatever, they, um, they are thinking, they say, oh, yeah, we want to be a diverse organization. They're typically thinking about assimilating diversity into an existing structure or yeah. context. All right. Mm. Right. So assimilation, I'll put it in the church context. Let's say you have, as I came from, a wonderful church, but otherwise all white structurally, you know, the, here's how long the sermons last, the color of carpet, the way the small groups work. And it's all pitched to a certain demographic within white uh, Christianity or white people, right? So I have no doubt pastors in a church like that or the leaders, the lay people stand at the door. It's, oh, we'd welcome anyone here. Right. Yeah. But what they really mean, and, and they don't know they mean this, but what that really means, as long as they like it the way we do things. Yeah. So if I'm the white leader of a church or lay, and I go, hey, Marcus, you're African-American. I was go, hey, let me show you how we preach. Let me show you how the worship works. Let me show you how the yeah. small groups. And as long as you, the other in that context, mm -hmm. likes it the way we, the majority culture does things. Hey, man, one big happy family. Right. right. And by the way. That's not just picking on we who are white, right? If you're an all-black yeah. church, I'm the minority if I'm a white guy going right. to a black church. And they're doing the same thing. Hispanics, right. I have uh, friends and people of color go, man, I just want to know when a white guy is going to follow me. Mm. All right? Well, I'll tell you, they're not going to follow you and go to your church any more than people of color are going to go to a white church because everybody's trying to assimilate mm -hmm. diversity. And assimilation means I'm asking you, the other, whoever the other is in whatever context, to check his or her culture at the door to adopt and embrace the ways of the majority culture of this church. Right. And if we do, we're one big happy family. That is not the way to build a healthy multi-ethnic church, but you talk about challenges. People have to overcome this challenge to understand it's not about assimilation, it's about accommodation. Hmm. So accommodation is very different. Accommodation is when the majority culture of a church shifts in forms and practices to welcome the other. In the other words, the onus for change mm -hmm. and adaptation is on the majority culture of that church, the structure, the leadership, right? I learned this early on, guys, because an African-American woman came up to me after a service one day about two years or so into it. And she said, you know, I, I think if we began to integrate more gospel music on Sunday mornings, more African-Americans would come and feel comfortable. 
Now, let me just say, as I've learned, and I know you guys know, that is not the only reason African-Americans want to go to church. It's yeah, just right. for gospel music, yeah. right? So right. It, it's, this isn't a gimmick. If you're a white guy or gal, don't see this as a gimmick. But this is out of the rich heritage of the black church music. She's like, hey, if we uh, you know, integrate more gospel music. So if you're a white pastor, let's say, Asian pastor for that matter, anybody that's not black, okay? <laughs> and, and an African-American woman comes up to you and asks you that question, what are you going to say? You see, like, what are you going to say? So you could go, oh, man, I like a little Israel in the car every now, a little Fred. You know, I turn, I listen on my way home. But, you know, I mean, we got Dave here on the guitar. Right. And I can't ask Dave to be, quote, inauthentic and do gospel music. So, but I got a good buddy, Kevin Kelly. He pastors Second Baptist Church up the street. I've heard they got a kick in gospel choir. What did you just say to that woman, right? You didn't mean to. You thought you're being helpful. Yeah. But again, this goes to the assimilation accommodation. We learned this early on, again, a couple of years into it, because uh, we had talked about some of these things. And so then I said to her, well, how would we do that? Who do you know? How could we move in uh, to that in a more credible way? And she took it upon herself for the next year to aggregate musicians, singers. And sure enough, we changed from the top. You yeah. see what I'm saying? We okay. made accommodating changes. And sure enough, more people of color and African-Americans, uh, you know, began to come to the church. That's just a simple way. And again, I don't mean this to be a gimmick. If you're hearing me, I'm not talking about gimmicks. I'm using that as a real life example of the difference between assimilation and accommodation. My good friend, Soong Cha Ra talks about this way of like a salad bowl, right? So everybody wants lettuce, tomato, cucumber, whatever, mushrooms, all in the same salad bowl. But the American church wants to pour ranch sauce over the whole thing. Right. So you, you taste the tomato, it's ranch sauce. Taste the cucumber, the idea is get rid of the sauce. And that's a good illustration of the difference between assimilation and accommodation. One other thing that I would say uh, in terms of challenges that have to be overcome, and we've certainly had to overcome them and learn, uh, is also the uh, is cross-cultural uh, intelligence and competence. So what do I mean by that? Uh, in, in our case, uh, one time in between two services, we had an African-American worship pastor with us 11, 12 years. We just hired uh, another guy after two years in the hiatus. He happens to be African-American too. But years ago, our young African-American worship pastor in between services, he had his choir on the stage or something. And I went up to him in front of his choir and I go, hey, James, you know that song? I think we should do this, this. And I, I made some changes in the middle of the service, uh, between the two services. Yeah. Later on, he talked to me about that. And he said, hey, I don't mind that. But when you do it in front of the choir, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And there was a yeah, dynamic there yeah. that was cultural that yeah. I didn't understand. Right. I recruited a white intern from my African-American student ministries pastor years ago. And one morning on a Sunday, in, uh, like her second Sunday, he was late to the church. And here's this, you know, young, white, 19-year-old intern a girl with all these kids of color and all this stuff. And 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 I and and I rarely kind of like, you know, I, I don't do this, but like the idea of chew someone out or be really direct because they made a mistake. But later that week, I'm like, you know, you can't do that, Amos, man. Here's the dynamic. He, OK. And by the way, he's back with us. He was gone for years. He's back. Our youth pastor again. But he later took me out and we had to talk about that. He said, you were right to, you know, basically call me out on that. He said, but in calling me out you can never forget that I'm an African-American in the South and the dynamic, the power dynamic there and how it comes across. I'm asking you to keep that in mind. Mm -hmm. Now he recognized I'm his boss, if you will. So, right. okay. Okay. 
but there's another cultural dynamic. And those are just two quick stories of there's a cultural competence and engagement. And the way you navigate that is like a marriage. I'm taking my ring off if you're not watching, but you know, I put a ring on my finger, my wife, 35 years ago, right? And and I'm sure the, I'm the only person who ever got sideways with their wife or her with me, right? I'm yeah, probably that's, the only we'll, get, we'll get emails going on. Oh, we need to help Mark because he's, so he's Mark, having a bad so, marriage. So you Nobody need else, Mark experience. Yeah, so, so the fact that we're human, we're all going to have conflict. I mean, like, you can't avoid it. You, you live in a close proximity, walking with people, it's going to happen. But yeah. when it happens, and we ask our church this, we say, keep the ring on. So when those cultural clashes come, you know, mm. like some white woman asking, is that your real hair? Mm. We are, nobody is here because they didn't will themselves. It's too easy. You're black, go to a black church. White, it's so much easier. Just go to your own church. So the idea is that if someone is here and they will themselves to be a part of Mosaic, their heart's in the right place. Now, there's going to be challenges as we work and fit ourselves together but let's assume the best of our hearts yeah. work through those conflicts and keep the ring on because that's ultimately like in a marriage, how you forge the unity you're looking for. Yeah. 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 Those are, those are great. Antoine. You- I, yeah. I was thinking I had a, where you started with about the accommodation and the assimilation, uh, assimilation and how um, I could see where leadership could potentially get on board with what you're saying but the extra layer of challenge is to get the congregation at large or even more specifically that really influential block of voices, whatever, however way they've <laughs> arrived there, whether is, it's yeah. they've been there for 10 year or they've been there cause they're the big givers or they used to lead or whatever their, their thing is to get, to get those people uh, thinking in those same ways. Um, it feels like that's really difficult to do because most people as you articulate it, don't believe that they're thinking, they don't assign themselves a, 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 a sort of negative. Um, they don't, they don't, they don't imagine that they're thinking in a, in a way that's not helpful. Mm-hmm. So when they're saying, Oh yeah, you know, we, we do it the way we do it. You're welcome to come and be a part of us to them. That is welcoming as you, as you articulate it. And it, it, I imagine there's a challenge to get not just the leadership, but the, but the whole of the congregation and the influential block inside the congregation to get on board. Cause I'd imagine that is where most pastors are stuck. Even those who would, who would agree with everything that you've said. Yeah. hundred percent. The, the, um, the art, articulating owning and, and embracing it as a leader, like you said, is one thing, the ability to competently articulate that to others in a way that brings them on board. That's a whole nother skill set that also involves your knowledge of scripture. Because if I go out and I say, hey, congregation, our culture is becoming more diverse, so we need to become more diverse. That is not gonna work. I gotta show them from the biblical mandate, the theology behind this, that's the strong structural foundation. Now, I have learned this and it really is a sad thing. You can lay this theology out for people, they can see it, you can take them to scripture, and they still, yeah, but I, then they'll go, yeah, but. You know, like, yeah, no. it's the traditions. The traditions are so, the traditions oftentimes have such a strong hold. And that, I, I think it's because we find ourselves in our traditions. Like there's a sense of identity in tradition. And it's really hard to deny, deny ourselves. I mean, it's a simple statement to say, but I think it's hard to deny ourselves on varying levels. And yeah. I think it just realizes itself in the traditional things that we are used to, whether it's in our homes 
or inside of a church, as well as, you know, the general sense of preference and all that other. Uh, but there's a sense of if I get rid of a tradition, you're saying that wasn't good enough, which means that I'm not good enough. And I, I think that's what some some subcon- subconscious things is going on there um, uh, with that. But it's interesting that there's such a stronghold that even theology, we've seen that, too, in our conversations you give really strong theology and we, we we quickly find out that sometimes theology doesn't drive us as much as we'd like to think we, yeah. it does. That's yeah, good. exactly. So laying that theology is so important. And then along with that is the, is adjusting your metrics and expectations, which means I know for a fact, let's say you're an established church and you begin to pitch the church forward into this vision there is a 100% chance people are going to leave your church. Mm. You have to realize that's not failure. John 15 says the branch has to be cut back every now and then to bear more fruit. I'm not going to walk up to people and say, you need to leave, you need to leave, but I want to preach the unadulterated, if I can say that gospel and the theology of the multi-ethic church. And you either, you know, you get on board, the trains leave and you're either with us or you're not. And if you can't handle that, I'm going to say, God bless you, go in peace. That could take my church from 400 to 150. Okay, now, if your measure of success is numbers, butts in the seat, you're going to feel like a failure and you're going to compromise. So you won't continue to press that vision because you're afraid of, quote, losing people. First of all, you're not losing anybody. There's you want to be an all white, all black. There's plenty of churches like that. So you're not throwing these folks out to the wolves without a gospel witness. But if your metric of success is numbers, okay, you'll compromise the vision. If you're worried about money, because that 400 down to 150, it, it, so you'll compromise the vision, which is why we wrote all the writings on disruption and the coming revolution in church economics. By, by changing the way, changing your metrics, your expectations, your understanding of what is effective ministry, how you become sustainable beyond tithes and offerings, that mitigates the, the natural tendency to compromise the vision to keep people here and to keep the money flowing. Mm. So those are some deep structural issues that you have to understand. That's what's going to keep you in the game, but expectations. So strong theology, expectation, and then the preaching continually and demonstrating um, uh, Philippians chapter two, right? Uh, do have this attitude. Well, first of all, you know, two, three, four, since we're all one in Christ basically says, you right. know, you know, uh, well, I'm going to chapter five in my or verse five in my head too quick, but do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interests right. of others. Now, that's spoken in the context of a group. So it's not, hey, Mark DeMoz, don't just think about you. Yes, that's implied. But more importantly, he's basically saying, Jews, you can't just be always thinking about Jews. And Gentiles, you can't. Black people, wait. we got to all think about other people in order to live out this unity to which Christ lived and gave his life, devoted, called us to. And therefore, you got to have an attitude in you, which was also in Christ. Now, when he empties himself in Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11, People literally for 2,000 years trying to figure out the mystery. If you know Paul, it's simple. What did Christ empty himself of? Power, position, and privilege. There's those P's again. I like it. There they are. Come on. <laughs> All, there was no one more powerful than Jesus. He came down. Position, right hand of the Father. Privilege, throw yourself off the temple. Angel will catch you. There is no one who's ever walked this earth with more power, position, and privilege than Jesus Christ and prior to him walking this earth. And what did he do? He let it go. He leveraged it, came down, and like that old game on the schoolyard, right, King of the Hill, it used to be you play that game. You scramble up the hill. You you remain king by keeping everybody else down. Right, right. Christ didn't come to be king of the hill. He came to be king of the world. He emptied himself, 
leverage his power position privilege came down to push us up the hill and to give us power position and privilege in the heavenly places we wouldn't have otherwise had that the attitude that has to be in you which was first in christ which led to the development of the church and again apart from that attitude it's not going to be done so we have to mitigate to pull this off beyond personal calling and the passion that comes from we talked about you're going to have to adjust our metrics and and deal with the very real threat if you will of the loss of money by developing other income streams and mitigate those challenges otherwise we're going to compromise the vision man mark that is that's really good and and i i love what one of the things you said in, in the midst of that answer you were you're kind of putting it in the place of this is something the church in this particular time really needs to get a handle on um, but in the midst of that conversation, you're talking about it, you're talking about it in the terms of economics as well. Uh, I know when we've talked before, you know, I think people as they've watched you and kind of watched you grow, even in this conversation, they see you talking about multi-ethnic church and transforming a multi-ethnic church, building multi-ethnic church. And then all of a sudden there's this conversation around economics. How does that, how does economics and multi-ethnic church mix together in a ministry like yours? Yeah, uh, you know, the in Chronicles, we hear and learn about uh, the men of Issachar who understood the times and know what was right for Israel to do. So at any mm-hmm. given epoch era in history, it's incumbent upon Christian leaders to seek to understand the times and know what is not necessarily morally right or wrong, although that's a part of it, but what is right to do for the advance of the gospel and the church. So in part, it's that comes from, in a sense, reading the times, understanding our times and and figuring out what is right to do. Um, As I mentioned earlier, uh, when I was in a very large church, the budget every year was calculated based upon how many new people they thought would attend, which translated into number a dollar amount on everybody's head. Mm. Hey, next year, we're going to grow 640 people. The average gift is going to be $247. It's going to equal this. And that's how we'll increase our budget. When I started this church in the inner city, the more people that joined our church, it cost us money. People in the inner city, they don't put money in the plate. They take it out of the plate. You know what I'm saying? And very quickly, we realized that if we were going to advance a bold, courageous uh, uh, mission that isn't just a church, but community engaged, focused, meeting the real needs of under-resourced and, uh, uh, community and the people that live here, we ties and offerings were not going to be alone. It's going to be me and an assistant and a janitor in a small building I'm renting with 80 people. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, if that's but the if case, we were, if it's just about the time. If we were actually going to be aggressive to address homelessness, illiteracy, uh, you know, on and on, I could talk about the things we do through our nonprofit, we were going to have to develop multiple streams of income. So the the very practical nature, because as you know, t- all of us tend to idea, oh yeah, let's just preach the gospel and we'll have a multi-ethnic church. You know, mm. uh, I was in Phoenix years ago and a, and a man said that as I, I did some Q&A after I had pre- presented and a, a, a guy says, man, just preach the gospel, you know, because, and, and God will make all this happen. Right. And I'm like, well, how's that working for us? You're basically saying nobody's preaching the gospel, right? right. So yeah, exactly. And they it, haven't it, been it, preaching it for years. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, if it was as easy to tell people, Jesus, we'd all be that. But as we talked about earlier, we've got implicit bias. We've got the, the his, a history of 400 year history of majority culture and, and insensitivity to people of color and all kinds of things. So there's a practical nature to the idealism of, of chasing the dream for which God points us, Revelation 7, 9. And, and so from 
on the economic side, the, the, this, this is all intersected, as people say today, because if we're going to actually meet the real needs of a community and do that in an aggressive way that brings diverse people together, in most instances, you're going to have to get beyond ties and offerings. What we've learned over 20 years is now it's not just the inner city, it's everybody, because who could have predicted a pandemic? Yeah. Who could have predicted the worst economy in 40 years, uh, uh, you know, lowest middle class wealth since 1941? All of these things affect ties and offerings, declining in attendance, declining giving. All that's been going on for years, not just in the last two, sure, right. but the last three, of course, accelerated yeah. it, like burst this problem onto the scene. So for the sake of the mission that is developing healthy multi-ethnic church, meeting the real community needs and recognizing, if you will, the sociology uh, that's going on around us in terms of, of economics, yeah. we have to think differently. And the way to think about it without going deep, and I wrote a book, two books on this, actually, Disruption, the Coming Revolution of Church Economics, the intersected nature, think about a football team, offense, defense, special teams. Those are all separate teams playing separate games with separate players, with separate metrics, all simultaneously functioning synergistically to win a game. Yeah. If you score 40 points and your offense is rocking and you can't stop the run and the other team scores 50, you lose the game. Mm. If your kick hits the uprights with three seconds left, special teams fails. To win an American football, you have to establish three separate teams playing three separate games synergistically to win the big game, if you will, to, to function as a team. The American church, in my opinion, in the 20th century, played a one-dimensional game. So it'd almost be like a football team with only an offense, with no defense, no special teams. It's the spiritual game. Preach the gospel, worship, children's ministry, visit people in the hospital, discipleship. Think about that as a spiritual playbook. Yeah. But very few churches, unless by necessity, in the inner city, African-American churches, particularly addressing real community transformation, the engagement, the needs that were sociological based in the community, Matthew 5, 16. And also nobody had to worry about it because tithes and offerings took care of everything. Right. So we need a spiritual, social, and financial team, three teams in one in the 21st century to win. And that's where it's intersected. The spiritual is a healthy multi-ethnic church that's engaged through nonprofit work in meeting the needs of under-resourced people and under-resourced communities to advance Matthew 5.16, a credible, demonstrable gospel that is not just with rhetoric, but results. And of course, how are you going to fund all that? Well, you won't fund it on tithes and offerings. I can tell you that in the 21st century. And that's the intersection, Marcus, of those three legs. No, I, I think that's fantastic. I, I think uh, I, I know we're going to talk a little bit about this, do some some pastor meetings and stuff, and, and obviously talk about this at the conference as well. Um, but it 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 makes me think of an, of another thing. I, again, I love all the pieces that are coming together. Um, you know, you're in the multi ethnic space, and I know one of the things I, I keep hearing in the multi ethnic space is how difficult it is for uh, churches, and this goes back to even your assimilation accommodation that a lot of multi-ethnic churches, at least early on in this process, were led by white men. And there's, you know, research that's kind of coming out right now about the, the ways in which many of those have been, again, what you talked about earlier, assimilation churches. And so I've been seeing a lot more churches that are kind of popping up uh, that are led by people of color, right? So how, how does the, this new 21st century church um, multi-ethnic church, is it moving towards where that's the way those churches succeed to have people of color lead that? Or is this just a, a fad that we're seeing or some sort of uh, anomaly? 
No, this is, uh, I mean, there's, there's sociological reasons for this, and then, of course, theolo theological. But the theological, uh, go to Acts 13.1, the great church at Antioch, which is the model church of the New Testament, Jerusalem is the starting point, the first church to be healthy, multi-ethnic, economically diverse, the first to send missionaries to the world, the first to send an offering to the poor saints outside of themselves. Uh, on the heels of that description in Acts 11, Luke takes us to the staff page of the of the greatest church in the New Testament. Yeah. Two of those guys are from Africa, one from the Middle East, one from the Mediterranean, one from Asia Minor. It, that in exegesis uh, is called indirect prescription. So if you're going to have a healthy multi-ethnic church organization, you're going to have to model healthy multi-ethnic relationships at the very top of the organization. And, and so that is a biblical thing, even with Antioch, uh, you know, empowering diverse leaders. So yes, some people would see it as a gimmick, in my experience, when you hire somebody of color, let's say as a white pastor, and you don't get all this stuff, they're going to be gone in two years. It's not going to work out well. The, the point is we got to empower diverse leaders in terms of equity. And it's not just about getting people on board. Oh, that's our youth pastor. Oh, that's our community engagement. No, who's preaching? Who's in the boardroom? The, the, the shared responsibility for the church. So this is a biblical concept. What you're seeing uh, now is not only in terms of population trends and all that on the sociological level, but of course, in the beginning, most of these churches were led or, or uh, let me just say this, the multi-ethnic church movement really, uh, and I probably don't want to go back and, and take the time to go through the history of it, but yeah, Circle Church in the 1960s was white-led, one of the very first churches to be multi-ethnic, but Ken Hutcherson in the 80s, Erwin McManus, uh, Ray Chang, uh, you had Pete Scazzaro, he's a white guy in New York, but there was a good mixture of people of color right from the beginning. But then as that, um, as, as there began to get some traction after Michael Emerson's book, Divided by Faith in 2000, of course, most of the churches pursuing a multi-ethnic church were led by white people and white men, particularly because most churches in America were led by we're white, white people. Yeah. Okay, so you, right. of course that would have happened. And very specifically in 2000, uh, about there were only about 4% of multi-ethnic churches, which were very few in the day, uh, or by 2006, about 4% led by people of color, which is what you're referring to, Marcus. Yeah. By 2019, that number was 17%. Yeah. And, and it's only going to grow in the right direction. And part of that is because um, you have people of color who, uh, who have now their voice, if you will, and, uh, and, and the freedom. They're, I, I run into people all the time, like, I'm a I'm an African-American. I don't want to just talk to African-American. I want to talk to anybody who will listen, right? Like, I'm yeah. not going to pinhole myself there. Uh, and on the other hand, you have white leaders recognizing, apart from intentionality, you're not going to empower diverse leaders. And that's not, quote, affirmative action, although, to be clear, I am a believer in affirmative action. But in the church world, that's not affirmative action. That's called intentionality. And yeah. that's what the Bible calls it. It's so interesting, a little bit of a pivot, and I'll finish this little part here, but how interesting it is to me has been through the years where you, if I go to a, let's, and you know, I sound like I'm picking on white churches, but I come out of the white church, right? So uh, I know that best, if you will, from the past. But you go to a, if I go to a white pastor, go, hey, let me ask you a question. Uh, do you have an intentional strategy for advance, uh, to, to advance the gospel? Advantage? Oh, yeah, man, here's what we do. We do this, this, that. Hey, let me ask you, do you have an intentional plan for disciple? Oh, yeah, we got small groups. We do this. We do. Hey, what about your worship? Oh, yeah, man, we have a worship planning meeting. We do this, this. Hey, what about diversity? Oh, man, if God's in it. Yeah, right. <laughs> we will be diverse, man. That's right. Organic all of a sudden. Like, like yeah. what do you mean? Like, 
you know, that's like, you don't come to your worship and go, do you have worship? Oh, no, man, we just show up. Show up and we do it. The Holy Hope Spirit, rain with a fall, man. Right. Yeah. No, evangel, we just walk around the streets and see what happens. Nobody approaches right. any aspect of the church that uh, anybody, it's good, if you will, without intentionality. But somehow, when it comes to diversity, empowering diverse leaders or the diversity of the congregation in an equitable, systemic way, somehow we want to go, well, if God wants that to happen, he's going to make it happen. I'm, come right. on. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, that's that's part of the the, the deal. I've, I've had sat down. Uh, with churches and said, you know, they were like, hey, we want to be more multi-ethnic, more multicultural. And I said, well, show me, show me your stats on where you are right now. And they're yeah. like, oh, well, we don't keep track of that. I was like, well, you don't keep track of it. If you don't keep track of it, then how are we going to know, A, where you are, and then, you know, set goals to, to get where you're going to go? Uh, and so, you, you know, as a friend of mine said, you inspect what you expect. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Whatever you are trying to accomplish, you've got to be able to kind of put some stats on that. But again, it becomes... I that's a, just a disconnect from the intentionality that needs to be put into this conversation. Totally. Uh, and so I, I appreciate those churches that are, that are thinking through that. Uh, and to your point of intentionality too, uh, I, I always say this when I'm talking about kind of the affirmative action in the space is if we understand what you were talking about even earlier, sort of aspects of cultural uniqueness that is involved when you engage different cultures and the ways that those unique aspects of culture really feed into the to what is what we would call the tapestry of God. If you want to experience the, the the full tapestry, if you want to experience the full image of God, you have to bring in somebody who understands that so that you have a, a venue and a connection to it. Um, and it and so there's a there's a point at which you look and go, I need this person because the the gift set, the the, the special skill, if you will, in their resume is that they come from this cultural background that can now add to our full understanding of God. And so that's where, again, it becomes more of a, uh, I say it again, it becomes more of a, a line on the resume uh, as a special skill, if you will, as opposed to just an affirmative action piece of like, well, I just need a skin color. Uh, and so yeah, that's-, that's you know, you guys, and Yeah, yeah absolutely. you guys know you love theology and your listeners, I'm sure too. This is exactly Ephesians chapter three, around verse nine and 10, when Paul says, why, basically he's saying, in, to paraphrase it, why should the church be multi-ethnic? And, and not just in terms of the, the uh, attending members, but in the ways we're talking about structurally, so that the manifold wisdom of God yeah. will be it's displayed to the world. And that word manifold in Greek literally means multicolored. That is literally what the word means. So he is definitely talking about diversity as he does throughout all Ephesians and all his writings. And then a little bit later, you get down to like verse 14, 18, somewhere in there. And he's going, I pray that you would know, and the Greek word has to do with an experiential knowledge, not just knowledge right. in your head. Mm -hmm. I pray, church at Ephesus, that you will experience the height, the breadth, the length, the depth of God's love. And what he's saying is to your point, Marcus, he's saying, and, and you know, again, paraphrase, maybe the white people, maybe we got the depth of God's love down, but we don't have the length, the breadth, the width. Maybe African-Americans, they got the width of God's love down, but they don't mm -hmm. have the, we all need each other like a prism to experience the totality of who this God is, how big he is and how big he loves we need to, Paul praised this. He wants that he gave his life for it, like we're giving our lives for it, so that the church would be whole and complete. One new man through which the manifold, this wisdom of God is displayed to all people, not just some people. Revelation 7-9 on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, so it. some of our so, uh, some of our listeners, I love everything, uh, been so helpful. 
uh, with everything you said, some of our listeners, I'm sure, are sitting there thinking, okay, so especially if they're pastors or leaders, they're thinking, okay, so, you know, should I pursue this or not? So let me ask this question to you. You've probably been asked it before, but do you believe that every church uh, should pursue um, diversity and multi-ethnic um, in games, or is there room for homogenous churches? I know, I know we've gotten that question a couple of times. Yeah. So the, okay. Um, when you are, and I do not assign myself prophetic voice or anything like that. So I'm not talking so much about me. I'm just talking about when you are in a prophetic space, casting vision, you are going to cast that to the extreme to pull people to the middle. So if you think about like a one to 10 continuum, you know, you're going to be out at nine and 10 just to get the two P twos and threes to get the five or six. Yeah. yeah. All right. In, in, with that in mind, you say, do you believe? Yes. I I'd say what I would, what I believe biblically is that this is God's intent for the local church on earth to reflect revelation seven, nine as a credible witness and demonstration of God's love for all people, not some people. And that let's say it like this, wherever possible, wherever possible, a church should pursue multi-ethnicity. Now, the way to think about that is, uh, is, and and let me, I'm going to tell you something real quick, but let me pivot. Is there a place for, uh, you know, homogeneous or 1.0 churches, et cetera, or whatever? Of course, there's a place for it. There's a need for it, I suppose some could argue. And you're always going to have those churches with you. But as we progress into the 21st century, beyond the 20% that we're already in, those churches will be more and more, in my opinion, I don't mean negatively marginalized, but they will not be the churches from which everyone else is drawn to and or taking their cues. This is a multi-ethnic century. The church is going to be multi-ethnic in terms of you're in the mainstream, and we're going to continue to figure this out in an equitable way as we move through the century. So the way to think about this is not either you're right or you're wrong to be multi-ethnic or homogeneous, that one is better than the other, good, bad, no, no. The way to think about this, in my opinion, guys, is corporate sanctification. So you have individual sanctification where I give my life to Jesus in a moment I am saved, right? I am reconciled to God. I have my justification, but I'm not yet sanctified. And that's a journey that goes throughout my life. Now, some people teach sanctification like you get on an escalator and you go straight up. Hey, to me, it's like you get on a roller coaster, man. And you know, <laughs> yeah. The whole life, you know, it's three steps forward, two steps yeah. back as we work our way to that final time when, when I die, God completes me and makes me the perfect Mark Damas, not the perfect God, but the perfect Mark Damas he intended me to be. That happens on the other side of eternity. Justification, sanctification, completion in the, in, in the afterlife. Glorification. Um, in the church, think about it the same way. If you were my pastor and I said, and you said to me, Hey, Mark, how are you doing with God? I go, oh, pretty good. What are you learning? I go, not much. Oh, aren't you reading? I said, no, not really. Well, what, you, how are you contributing to you? And I'm not really, you go, what, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, I've been at this guy's like 45 years. I've been a Christian pastor 40 years. I've read, I got a doctorate. I mean, I've, I've kind of done my, th- I'm just going to ride this thing out. No good pastor would allow me to get away with that. They go, wait a second. As long as you have health, breath, life, you should be growing. Cause you're not going, okay. 
think about that same analogy. That's individual sanctification we're talking about here. Apply that to a local church. Pretend the local church is a person. You wouldn't accept this. Go, man, we're just a black church. That's who we are, man. Yeah. Wait a second. Someday you're not going to be a black church. You know why? Revelation 7, 9. So I understand your history or whatever. And it could, again, white, Asian, whatever church. Okay, yeah. that's where you are at a moment in time. But just like with sanctification, I want to ask you to think about this. What do you believe biblically about the church? What do you, what's your philosophy? Are you a Methodist church, Baptist church, whatever? What can you do practically? When can you do it realistically to inch your way forward to take the next step towards Revelation 7-9 from where you sit today? And that's a journey, just like in my own individual life, it's going to take forever. And there's going to be some three steps forward, two steps. You're never going to get there, but that doesn't abdicate you or release you from the responsibility forward. as a church leader to say, we need to be moving forward. Even if it's just a one step this year, one step next or whatever. But see what I'm saying? So I, I would answer the question, not either the right, wrong, good, bad, should there be, should there not. What I can say, Antoine, is in my opinion, Every single church on the face of the earth should be pursuing corporate sanctification, which involves and includes this journey to Revelation 7-9. Whatever that looks like in your context, whatever that means, knowing not either I am or I'm not a multi-ethnic church. No, I'm on a journey as a church. We're on a journey just like I am in my life. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great, um, that's a great picture. And I know we've, uh, we've I've looked at the young adult ministry is another thing I do. And I often coach young adult ministry leaders to look at their ministries as an individual person, you know, to think about the growth of it and what you'd expect and all that. And, and it's been really helpful in that space. I had not thought about it that way with uh, with the with the church. But uh, what you said is, I think, really, really helpful and moves us out of, like you said, that I'm in the right place or the wrong place. But we're growing toward what God has called the church to be corporately uh, in Revelation 7, 9. And um, so, yeah, I think it, I love it. Yeah. Can, man, I, can I just add this? I, I, I know, you know, I'm so passionate about this stuff and I, you know, and yeah. I, I love it, but let me just add this too. Uh, having said what I said, people of color, as you know, have been victimized, traumatized, et cetera, literally for 400 years, whatever it's been in this country, but particularly in the last five, 10, whatever, going way back to Black Lives Matter, Eric Garner, the consciousness that comes with social media. Sure. I tell my uh, people of color friends, if you will, sometimes you need to take a break. You know, like in other words, it's you've had experience. In other words, if you, I'm just using African-American. If you're an African-American Christian, and, and you've given a multi-other church a shot or whatever, but remember the gimmicks and all the things we talked about, it wasn't really equitable. It's not that. And yeah. somehow you've been harmed or traumatized, or even in your own life, secular work, whatever at school, sometimes you may need to pull over and just get, you know, get with your own for healing, for hope. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I, I say, and I'm not God, obviously I'm just saying, I, I totally recognize that need. And, and, and if I see or come across people that are doing that, I'm like, I, I, not that they need my validation, but in my heart, I'm like, I get it. I understand, you know, take that. Yeah, well, and Jesus expressed, like he lived into a rhythm like that. Like he, he would go out and, and there were moments when he would draw back to his 12 and then, and then further to his three. And then of course uh, him, him and the father alone. So yeah, I, I can, I can definitely hear that as a part of, the rhythm of what it means to pursue this thing um, 
well. Yeah. Right. And, and that's, that's and the tail end of that is saying, but don't allow yourself to think that's where you're going to be forever. Like at some point we need you back in the game, so to speak. At yeah. some point, you, you don't, don't see that as forever. See that for as a moment that you might need to take. And even like you said from several times, but the grand game we're playing here is to come be one in Jesus and to advance that as best we can on earth individually and collectively as we can. So if you need that timeout, take it. It's like a, you need to vacate. You know what I'm saying? Go, mm-hmm. whatever. You go to the bench for a minute. Yeah. But please come back and play the game with us. Yeah, it's a, you know, uh, we, we've had Dr. Brenda Salter Neal on the show before and, and I've sat with her lots of times and she, she has this roadmap to reconciliation and she wrote 1.0 uh, and then, but in the 2.0, she added this section that we're talking about and specifically for uh, churches of color, people of color in the midst of this game, as we've been kind of calling it here. And it's a, a cycle of restoration. And mm-hmm. to the point that you mentioned even earlier in the sanctification process, Mark, that it's not just this escalator going up, but it's this kind of roller coaster, right? Where there's kind of yeah. bends and turns and loop-to-loops and things of that nature. So it, we see that it moves and flows. And to the point you were making, Antoine, where we see Jesus, Jesus was always on mission, even when he took those times away to restore and so the, 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 whenever, I, whenever I'm talking to, to, to Dr. B, uh, you know, I'll say, you know, maybe people of color need to take a timeout. We need to break. And she goes, no, this, this is a break. It's not a, a, a timeout. Mm-hmm. It's actually part of the work. It's a mm-hmm. necessary part that everybody who's in the reconciliation process needs to take a time to renew, a time to mm-hmm. reconnect and a time to recharge. And so it should be, it should be a part of the work of reconciliation that we all go through because you know this as well as I do, Mark, like this work is hard. Uh, it's, it's tough and you've got a lot of, uh, doubts and, 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 and doubters coming at you. And as the church is transforming and transitioning into this moment in the 21st century, we are in the transition time. And so there's just a lot of, um, of the old that we're still trying to pull along a little bit and, uh, and, and not, you know, lose the new that's going forward. So there's a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, wounds that comes up. So, uh, I, I think that's a, a great, uh, addition to sure. what you were talking about, Mark. Thanks totally for doing agree. that. Yeah. Uh, she, uh, yeah, totally agree. Yeah. And and look, and, and this look, this has been a great convo. I mean, there's there's so much good uh, uh nuggets, uh not even nuggets, like like you get the full, there's like a whole a, a, a leg in there, maybe even a you know, a thigh. Uh that we got <laughs> we you know nuggets, we got there's some bone in there, we put some meat around it. So uh it, it was it was good. I, I appreciate that. Now it, it tell us, you know, is all of this the conversation we're having, you, you mentioned that there's a again, this is a sanctification process, churches are working. Is this the kind of thing that people should expect to be talking about uh, at the Mosaic Conference coming up here uh, November 8th through the 10th? Yeah, for sure. You know, that's what uh, we do. And you guys are a part of it this year where you're you're aggregating the voices, the movement, some uh, and really in four realms. So you're trying to put the the thought leaders and that doesn't mean just somebody like well known, like, say, Rich Velotis. You're we, we bring to people that generally speaking. The American church doesn't know, but they're doing the work and they're getting it done. So you got that whole gamut, over 100 speakers uh, who are very accessible. These aren't people just living in the green room. They're very accessible, rubbing shoulders. They're there for you. People that are actually getting it done. And the four areas in terms of pre-conference, during the plenary sessions, throughout the workshops, and in all the extra hour conversations that go on, everything is really centered around four things. That's the multi-ethnic, economic diversity piece of the church, or I could say the unity, right? The multi-ethnic economic unity of the church, Um, Mm -hmm. the justice aspects, uh, cultural intelligence, 
and financial or economic sustainability. That's the four pieces of mosaics. And of course, as we talked about earlier in this program, they're all intersected, but there at the conference, we, we can break them down in pre-cons and workshops and the stage and then bring people of credibility, whether they are well-known or not, who have something to say, not just verbally, but in terms of their work, that can build in those four areas, if you will. And, and then, of course, beyond that, what's really cool is, the as you guys know, because you've been there, the rubbing of shoulders, the feeling, I, I want to say it's like people tell me all the time, I... They go, this feels like a family. I can go to a conference finally and in a sense, just be myself. Like, I don't, yeah. you're, you're in a space where. Um, you're not fighting for your voice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You you can, you know, enjoy it. And so you you make those connections. You find the encouragement, the personal encouragement. You're not alone. Unity matters. Um, it's, it's important work. You're, you know, and again, depending on where, whatever stage you are, if you're new to the dance, or you've been around for a while. Again, it's just a it's a it's great to be with people of like mind and or people who want to uh, understand and come into that like mind without yeah. having to fight your way through and fight for, you know, like hear me or see me or understand. No, no, I mean, and so that is is a beautiful thing about what's been. And I pray to God, you know, I, hey, it's all it's God's doing. We're doing our part, and we, we're trusting God to do for us what we can't do. So um, yeah. anyway, yeah, it's, and, we're going to talk about those areas. Yeah, and I appreciate that. And, and I love what you're saying about, you know, coming in and rubbing shoulders and feeling like you're there with the family. And that was a big part of as we are, I've been brought on to kind of look at the virtual conference to be able to create that same environment. You know, it doesn't want to just be a live stream where people watch, but we're creating places where you do get to talk with other folks who are engaged in this work. Uh, we're bringing interviews from folks who are well-known in, in the work or in the dance, as you just mentioned as well ago, but also be able to kind of pull people out just in the audience or in the crowd as we're, as they're walking yeah. by our, our virtual stage and go, tell us a little bit about what you're doing. So that won't be lost uh, in that virtual space. It'll be another integral piece of how we do uh, this conference together, both in person uh, and online as well. So uh, excited to uh, have you here, Mark, and, and just be going through this conversation with you. It's it's always a good time, and there's so much uh, that we're going to grab from you, and excited to be working with you. This is for the Mosaic Conference, and this is coming November 8th through the 10th. Again, if you are a listener of Threaded, you get a special discount, a Threaded discount. Go get your tickets, particularly if you are in town, man, get your tickets, Mosaic Conference, Mosaics with an X, conference.com get your tickets and put in threaded as the discount code and you'll get 20% just for being a listener of color commentary and being a part of threaded see we told y'all we told y'all that this was going to get you something right we told you that this is good so all you who've been loyal to us you get the special don't look i would say don't tell nobody else but go ahead and tell somebody else you know what i'm saying like let's just get everybody in this mug we just want to make sure that that price ain't a problem we want to see the threaded squad representing at right, mosaics we will be there we will be on a state we will be in a stage talking doing what we do you can come by give us a shout Holler at us. We'll have our own booth. Talk about some stuff, man. It's going to be great. So, uh, Antoine, thanks again for being here. As always, Mark, pleasure to have you guys. If you need uh, to learn any more about Mark, Marcus, Mark, do you, I'm call, felt like I called you Marcus when I said that. Uh, <laughs> I was talking to myself. Uh, Mark, any place in particular you want the the listeners to engage you? Do you have any any socials or website or anything that you wanted to engage you with? 
Yeah, well, my name, Mark DeMoz, and it's spelled, uh, you know, there. But really, the best way to get in touch with me uh, in, in one way or another, and I always, you know, answer the phone, so to speak, but uh, mosaics.info is our website, M-O-S-A-I-X, like X-ray, mosaics.info. And uh, all over that site, it will say, click here to schedule a time with Mark or whatever. And that's basically how people get a hold of me. And my colleague Allison's quick to get back. And we, we talk to anybody who wants to talk. But that's the best way. Just go to mosaics.info. Yeah, I love that. That's good. And good. if you want to look up Mark online, M-A-R-K, the, the right way to spell that, good. Okay. Uh, and the last name, Demaz, D-E-Y-M-A-Z. So check that out. And again, he'll be at the conference as well. So you can rub shoulders with him as well as a lot of other folks that we've already mentioned as well. So make sure you do that. Uh, we're grateful that you listen to Color Commentary. Love having you in the Color Commentary fam, the Thread family. Uh, you know, Color Commentary, the reason we call it that is because we have to look through these different lenses. Everybody's bringing a different lens to the table. And the more lenses you look through, the better you will be able to see God. So mm -hmm. as you go out into your world, make sure that you stay colored. You have been listening to Colored Commentary, powered by Threaded, a biblical reconciliation organization. To find out more about Threaded, check out wearethreaded.org. And to join the show for live recordings and other events, subscribe to our YouTube channel or check us out at coloredcommentary.com.